Let me pray with us. Father, that song is certainly our prayer, especially given the news from around the world and from our own nation over the past couple of weeks. As we look at our world, we feel undone. We say with Isaiah, we are a people of unclean lips. We dwell among a people of unclean lips. We are people prone to sin, and we, we dwell among people who are very prone to sin. There's anger. There's selfishness. There's lust. There's laziness. We confess these things. We confess that if we're not careful, we're prone to them as well. We thank you and we praise you that you have not given us the silent treatment, even though our sins deserve that and so much more. Instead, you have given us your son so that we might be forgiven and restored so we might be with you. We praise you and we thank you that you are a mighty fortress. And we come to you today seeking refuge and strength. May your word provide that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a name is a word or term used to identify something or someone. Have you ever tried to imagine what our world, what our world would be like without names? We name everything, even storms in the ocean. Without names, communication, identification, uh, that would definitely be pretty difficult, would it not? Most people agree that, that names are very important, and, and oftentimes our names... Uh, carry, or the things we name, you know, are various stuff. It, it carries meaning, it carries purpose, it has a story behind it. Every one of us in here has a name, and there's most likely a story behind every one of our names. My full name is Scott Thomas Burns. Thomas actually comes from my dad. Uh, his name is John Thomas Burns. I have a nephew named Thomas as well, so Thomas is a family name. Carol and I have five children, and there's a story behind every one of their names. Some of them we call by their first name. Some of them we call by their middle name. Those will probably be confused for the rest of their life. But um, I'll tell you just a few of the stories real quickly. Our second daughter is named Elizabeth Page. She goes by Page. And Elizabeth is Carol's grandmother's name. Our oldest son is Robert Zachary. Robert uh, is the name, was the name of Carol's grandfather and is also the name of her father. So based on that information... Uh, it's very safe for you to assume that Carol's grandparents have a very special place in her heart. They do. Two of our children bear their name. Our youngest son is Caleb Scott. Caleb comes from a teenager who I loved very much at this church, who the Lord called home a few years ago, Caleb Townsend. Uh, and Scott is pretty much the coolest name on the planet. So, <laughs> And as an added benefit to Caleb's name, uh, if he goes on to become a famous scholar, he can have C.S. Burns on all his books. So. <laughs> have you ever wondered uh, about the name of this church? 
this faith family called Alliance Bible Fellowship. Why is it called Alliance Bible Fellowship? Who decided that and, and why did they pick that name? Many of the people who started this church are still a part of this church. Many of them were in first service. There's a few here in second service uh, as well. And we, we've put together a really brief video just to give you a little bit of background to uh, the story of our church and why Bible is our middle name. Church began in 1978. Uh, didn't realize it was going to be a church. We were just getting together to study the Bible. And as it is obvious, uh, we had a desire to, to reach out and be inclusive, not just a little holy huddle somewhere. But we we desired to do that. So we met in homes, in our home, in the Dallas home, and other places. We spent time together. We. Um, we're in each other's homes all the time. There was a small core of us. I was I was 15 years old basically when the church started. I think there was just a real desire uh, amongst my parents and some other families to have a Bible teaching church. You wouldn't believe the growth that we've had. I mean, spiritual growth. I'm not talking about you know, the whole church. I'm just talking about the growth, the spiritual growth in the people. There was a hunger in people's hearts to be, to know more about the Word, to not just a knowledge of it, but a better understanding of it, that we would be able to be people of the Word. A core commitment would be to Bible study. Um, we were hungry for teaching and uh, that's uh, uh, every pastor we've had I think has been called because of the strong Bible teacher that he was. The Bible is our middle name because of the, the, it's the foundation of our church. We have Bible in the middle of our name to give us, here's the map that God's given us so we can understand uh, him more and see our great need of this lavish love he's given us. Bible is our middle name uh, because we teach the Bible. <laughs> there was just a desire to have a church where the Bible was taught. If you don't have the Word of God, or if you don't study the Bible, uh, I couldn't make it through. And it is so much better when they go to the Word. I'll confess, I, I was praying that before I died, I hoped to see our room full, and it would probably hold 50. <laughs> so. Just want to praise Him every time I think about His faithfulness over the years, because we were just such a small but dedicated group of people in the beginning. And it wasn't what we needed to do, it was what God did through a handful of people. Seth Hooper, our youth intern, made that video, and I'm just so thankful for the people that started this church and what they stood for and how God has blessed it over the years from uh, a dream of 50 to three services of 900. It's pretty cool, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 
The Apostle Paul writes, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 16, it says that the scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, woman of God, might be competent, equipped for every good work. Bible is the middle name of this church because we believe the Bible is the word of God. We believe God breathed those words out through human authors and they are ultimately his words to us. Those who founded this church believe that. The elders still affirm that today. And, and I think most of you believe that as well or you, you probably wouldn't be here. However, I, I do think that our understanding and our belief in the Bible and the practice of Bible reading might look a little different, at least at times. The Bible is necessary for our daily walk with God, and the truth that is there is sufficient to guide us throughout life. I think both of those principles can be very easily forgotten in our culture today. It can be hard to build our life on today and the busyness of life, but, but the, both are true. They the Bible is necessary for our daily walk with God, and it's sufficient to guide us throughout our lives. Unfortunately, many Christians today have a tendency that, to leave the Bible on the coffee table a little too often. Last year, the elders completed and adopted an expanded doctrinal statement. We did this so that we could put a stake in the ground and say, this is where we stand. And the very first statement is on the doctrine of the Word of God, and this is what it says, the Word of God. We believe the Bible, consisting of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, is the Word of God, fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We believe God has faithfully preserved His Word such that it is fully reliable and trustworthy today. We believe the Word of God is the only infallible rule of faith and practice in the life of all believers, and that it is the believer's responsibility to submit to its authority. Further, we hold that while Scripture will have many applications, there is only one correct interpretation. And then there's some Scripture underneath that. I'm preaching today. Obviously, I'm also going to preach next week. It would take more than two weeks to unpack that entire statement. So I can't address everything in that statement, nor do I have time to defend every phrase in that statement. But I do believe everything in that statement, and I'm confident that it can be defended and I'd be happy to discuss any portion of it with you if you'd like. The verses at the end of, of that statement, they're actually only a small sample of what we could have put there. The sheer volume of scriptures on the scripture is staggering. This morning, we are, in a sense, going to go along for a drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And we're going to pull over at various overlooks and, and take a look at what we see. And then we're going to keep on going. And, and the idea is just to kind of get a big picture look at what the Bible says about itself. Our very first few overlooks are actually going to occur in the Old Testament. So if you've got your Bibles or some sort of a device, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. In this passage, the Israelites have crossed the Red Sea. 
They've experienced the miraculous deliverance of God from slavery in Egypt. Moses wrote a song as a result, released it as a single. And the Israelites have now journeyed three days into the wilderness. They now have a major concern on their hands. What are we going to eat and drink? And they are not just asking Moses what's for supper. They are grumbling and complaining. They even say, we'd like to go back to our meat pots in Egypt. In chapter 16, God in his mercy says to them, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. Look at chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God says, I'm going to provide the food that you need, and this provision, it's also going to serve as a test. This is the test. Are you going to trust me and obey me? God is teaching them to walk with him and to trust in his daily word, that he's going to say manna, and it's going to be there for them day after day after day. Some of them trust, some of them don't. But for the next 40 years, God provides this manna, this bread from heaven, to feed his people. That takes us to overlook number two. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you... uh, Chapter's over, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. They have spent the last 40 years on a stretch of road that had no restaurants. They were completely dependent on God to provide the daily bread that they needed. Now they're about to head into a land that has all-you-can-eat buffets everywhere. Look at verses, what, look at what verses 1 to 3 says. God says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And look at verse three, this is key. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So this 40-year provision of bread was meant to test the people's trust in God. Every day they were completely dependent on God's faithfulness to provide the manna that they would need. They were dependent on his word to them that, that he would give them what he said he would give. If he didn't rain down manna, there was no hot dog stand to go to. They were completely dependent on God. Now, in Deuteronomy 8, God says this provision was also meant to be one gigantic lesson. The lesson was this, that they needed more than bread. They needed the word of God. Their need for manna was nothing compared to their need for God's word. That takes us to overlook number three this morning, Matthew chapter four. Heading over to the New Testament now, Matthew chapter four. Jesus is now in the wilderness. He's in a sense left the promised land. He's gone to the wilderness. He's gone without food for 40 days. There's all kinds of symbolism and pictures and fulfillments here. Jesus is being tempted by the devil himself. After 40 days of not eating, the scripture says Jesus is hungry. And I would say that's an understatement. Satan says that, If he's the son of God, 
then there's no need for you to be hungry, Jesus. Just turn that rock into bread and meet your own needs. That's what Satan says to him. And look at Jesus' reply in chapter 4, verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8, which we just looked at. And he says to the devil himself that his sustenance does not ultimately come from whole wheat. It comes from the word of God. So that is, that's our point number one this morning. We only got two points this morning. Point number one is we need the word of God more than we need daily bread. Sometimes we find ourselves keeping up with what we eat. So a runner or a weightlifter might keep a food log to, to make sure they're getting the calories that they need and the, the kind of calories that they need. Or you, you might take your child to the doctor for a checkup and Usually they'll ask how many fruits and vegetables your child is getting on a daily basis. And no, gummy bears and potato chips don't count. Nor do Skittles, even though there's a bunch of colors. All right. Let me ask you a question. If you kept a daily spiritual food log, if you kept a log of how often and how much you consumed the word of God, how much would be on it? I suspect that over the course of three services, some who would come here today would, if they were honest, would have to say, I consume the word of God for 35 to 40 minutes on Sundays. And if that is all you could put down, you should not be surprised if your faith is weak. You are spiritually malnourished. You're starving yourself spiritually. We need the word of God more than we need lunch today. If you only ate food on Sundays, if you had one big brunch at, say, 10, 15 on Sunday, and that was all the food that you had until the following Sunday, you would spend most of the week feeling physically drained, emotionally vulnerable, and really grumpy. Even more so, if your only time in the Word of God is on Sundays, you'll spend most of the week spiritually drained, spiritually vulnerable, and grumpy. Let me just quickly throw out a few things that the Word of God brings to us, and it can bring to us on a daily basis. First, it awakens and it fuels our faith. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. 2 Timothy two fifteen, The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 3, 21, the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. How strong is your faith this morning? I'll bet your strength or lack of it is related to your time in the word. Secondly, the word of God, it awakens and it fuels our joy. John 15, 11, this is Jesus speaking. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Psalm 19, verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. How much joy do you have today? The word of the Lord, it brings joy to the heart. Have you ever met someone who has every reason to feel miserable, and yet they're full of joy. Ever met somebody like that here, here in this church? That does not come from a happy meal at McDonald's. That comes from a happy meal with Jesus, 
from spending time with him. Third thing that the word of God does for us, it helps us resist sin and put on righteousness. Several verses for you here. John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. John 17, 17. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's saying, God, sanctify them, clean them up with your word. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 2 Timothy 3.16, again, all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. How's your fight against sin going? The truth of God's word can help you in that fight. None of us ever outgrows our need for the word. If you've been a Christian for 40 years, you still need the word of God. If you're 95 years old, you still need the word of God. Just like we need to eat physically, we have to eat spiritually until the Lord calls us home. All of us need the word of God daily. How often you, you feed on it each day, how, how many times, where you do that, how many times, all all that's going to depend on a a variety of things, what your life looks like. But a marathon runner carbs up before the race. Similarly, we need the word of God for this race of life. A person who is seriously sick usually has an IV of fluids and medicine going into their body to help them recover. Similarly, we need the word of God. Okay, back on the parkway. We come to stop number four, overlook number four. John chapter six. If you got your Bibles, turn there. John six. We learn here in John six that Jesus took a few sardines and saltines out of a little boy's lunchbox, turned it into a buffet for 5,000 men plus their wives and children. The next day, the people are swarming to him like he's a snack machine. They're like, give us some more food. That was awesome. All right. And Jesus says, look, I am not a snack machine in the way that you think I am, but You do need to feed on me. Look at some of the verses in John 6, verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Verses 32 to 35. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verses 47 to 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is saying this. The bread of this earth, the manna that our fathers ate, it sustained them for a while, but all of them are now dead. Earthly bread sustains a temporary life. Heavenly bread brings and sustains eternal life. And Jesus is that bread. Eternal life was secured at the cross where Jesus' perfect life covered our imperfect lives. Jesus' sacrificial death paid the price that we owed. 
His resurrection conquered death, secured eternal life. The bread that he gave for the life of the world was his flesh. And the resurrection is what saves us. We need Jesus to give us new life and to sustain us. So that takes us to point number two this morning. Point number two, the word of God is our connecting point with Jesus. The word of God is our connecting point with Jesus. We learn about him, we grow in our love for him, we understand how to follow him through reading the scriptures and communing with him. Too many of us try to connect with Jesus primarily through something other than the Bible, music, Guitars, friends, being outside, those are good things, and we can certainly experience God in the midst of some of that, but the Word of God is the primary connecting point with Jesus, and if we neglect the Word of God, we're going to be missing our connection with Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. Bible is our middle name because we are all about living for Jesus, After Christ rose from the dead, he walked with with two disciples on the Emmaus Road. At at first, they could not recognize Christ, but as they walked, Jesus began talking about the scriptures with them. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, he says this, beginning with Moses and, and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about our King and our Savior, Jesus. The Old Testament predicts Jesus. The Gospels reveal Jesus. In Acts, Jesus is preached. In the epistles, Jesus is explained. In Revelation, Jesus is expected. We we read the Bible because it's all about Jesus. And when we read the Bible, we're not just reading. You read the newspaper for information. You read a novel for entertainment. You read the Bible so that you can commune with the God of the universe. The Bible is like a gigantic email from from God. It's like a text message from the creator to the creature. And we can actually be in a relationship with God through his word. We live in a culture that's obsessed with communication, don't we? We are constantly listening to and talking to each other. We tweet, we text, we call, we email, we post our status, we comment on other statuses, we meet over a cup of coffee. Communion with God, being in a conversation with God, being in a relationship with God, listening to God, knowing God, that's a staggering opportunity. God created the ever-expanding universe and knows every star by name, Isaiah 40, 26. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He will never see an end, Psalm 90, verse 2. Romans 11, 33 says that his ways and his judgments are unsearchable. Who among us is like him? And if his immensity and his power were not enough, his holiness and our sin is enough to separate us Forever, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. How did he do that? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God is all 
powerful. Our triune God created the world by speaking. Genesis 1, Genesis 1, God said, let there be light and there was light. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit, tree, fruit trees bearing fruit, and it was so. He said apple tree and there was apple tree. We can't do that. We can't say pizza and it's just there, can we? Wouldn't that be good if we could though? But we can't. But when God speaks, it happens. He says light and there's light. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus Christ is upholding the universe by the word of his power. We are existing right now. The whole universe is existing right now because Jesus Christ is upholding it by the word of his power. In Jesus, all things hold together. Colossians 1, 17. Jesus, God in the flesh, he told storms to stop and they obeyed immediately. They had no choice, no power over the word of God. Jesus told demons to leave and they did so because of the word of God. Disease melted off people's bodies. Death became life. Hearts of stone became hearts of flesh because Jesus spoke. Hebrews 1 1 and 2 says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus was God in the flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And everything we need to know about Jesus, he has made it known. The Bible is our connecting point with Jesus. We can hear the words of God when we go to the Bible. Our God is a speaking God. And he has written down his word, his message to us so that we can go to it over and over and over. As I was preaching in the first service, uh, the Lord brought Second Peter to mind. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 I'll just read a little bit for you. Uh, this is Peter talking about an experience he had. He says, "For we did not cleverly, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic voice, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain." So Peter's talking about that that. Experience he had on the mountain, transfiguration, Jesus starts glowing, God's voice comes out of the cloud, right? That's what he's talking about there. You would expect him to then say, wish you'd been there. You'd have no doubts. But that's not what he says. He says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And he goes on to talk about the nature of Scripture. Here's what Peter is saying. He's saying, I'm not banking my life and my, my relationship with Christ on some miraculous moment. I go to something more sure, the word of God. It's amazing, isn't it? Our God is a speaking God. He's given us his message so that we can go to it over and over. It doesn't answer every single question we have about God or about this world or, or about our own lives, why this, but it tells us everything we need to know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us 
and to our children. We're going to talk about that next week. Belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. We need the word of God. We need it for faith. We need it for joy. We need it for living in a world that is full of sin. And though the word of God will not answer every question we might have, it will tell us enough that we can be saved. We can follow Jesus. It will, tell, it will tell us enough that we can connect with the living, speaking God. It will tell us enough that we can love our spouse. We can raise our children. We can love our neighbor. We can be a witness. We can endure hardship. It gives us what we need. If you're here today and your walk with, strong, your walk with Jesus is strong, I, I suspect it's because you are in the word and I would just say to you, stay in it. Stay in it. You need it more than you need daily bread. And as you read it this week, look for those connections that you can make with Jesus and spend time communing with him. But if you're here today and your walk with God is not going so well, it's pretty dry, I suspect you need to be in his word more than you are currently. And if you need some help knowing where to go, how to begin, I'd love to speak with you afterwards for just a moment. I've even got something I can give you to help you for the coming week. And I'd encourage you to come and and grab it and use it this week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for speaking. Thank you for not giving us the silent treatment. Would you open our eyes to see the truth in your word? Would you incline our hearts towards it? Would you satisfy us with it? We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and respond to the word.